0: on preaching our journey through luke and i'm going to be looking at luke 20 verse 45 so just to sort of recap and position everything as to where we are um, we seem to have been going through luke for a long time i think we probably have but um, where are we at the moment what point are we particularly looking at We're looking at the time where Jesus is still in the temple. So he's taken the temple back. He stopped the religious leaders getting in there. He's effectively overthrown what they were doing. And he's controlling it because he goes there every morning. He preaches and teaches all day. He doesn't let them in. They can't get back to doing things how they used to do it. And then he leaves late in the evening and then he comes back the next day. As you can imagine, this has caused a lot of tension. A lot. Of tension because it's going on day after day after day and he's outwitting them every time whatever they try whatever they try and do he defeats them or he confuses them they are angry they are upset and they are worried because their control is going it's slipping away and they can't tackle him head-on so they're getting kind of desperate there's a tension building within them also Jesus knows it's coming to an end. Jesus knows that he can't go on like this. His period of holding the temple and of teaching is, is narrowing. It's gonna, this is probably the last occasion we have um, where he, he says something. Then there's a few more things which we think were said over a period of time. And then he leaves the temple. So we're getting c- very close to the end. Jesus knows that within a few days, less than a week, he's going to die. He you knows it's all going to turn, he's going to be crucified. We know where that's going. He's going to die for us. He knows what's coming. So I would imagine, even though he's God, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows what he's going to do, and he knows he'll be coming back, he's human. And he's going to go through tension. He's going to be agitated. He's going to be anxious. He's going to know everything that we would have known. I mean, we've all been in situations where time scale is narrowing, isn't it? We've all been there at some point in our life. Something's going to happen, and the timescale is narrowing. And you know that feeling that comes up as you get closer and closer and closer. And things become more urgent. Things become more important. You become more direct in the way you do things. You become more focused in what you do with your time. And that's the situation that we've got now. It's coming to a point. It's rising up to a point where something Is going to happen. So that's where we are. So if you look at uh, whatever medium you're using, I'm old fashioned, I'm still reading a Bible, but uh, it's actually disconcerting for preachers now because you have no idea whether you're playing some computer game or Candy Crush or whatever, or um, ordering something on Amazon, or you know, ordering your lunch, you know, or whether you're actually looking at your Bible, no idea. But wherever it is, I'm actually looking at Luke 20, verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and they love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And then it changes gear. And it says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All those people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty and put in all that she had to live on. Now, those verses are familiar to us. Matter of fact, I think the, um, the story is probably paraphrased as the widow's mites, quite often, isn't it? And we, we, it's used a lot. And often we treat them as two completely separate things. There was Jesus doing his usual, having a go at people in authority, being critical. And then we take a completely separate thing and we think, oh yeah, and then there's the story of the widow who puts in all she has. But I don't think they are separate. I think Luke put them together like that deliberately. Because what he's trying to do is contrast. It's a compare and contrast between two completely different characters. Two different things. On one hand you have the scribes, and on the other, the widow. So, why was he warning about the scribes? Why was he having a particular go at them? Well, we know he didn't like anybody in religious authority anyway. The key word there was religious. He didn't want anything to do with that and was incredibly critical of it. But these people in particular were like the visible face of it. They walked around in their flowing robes. They liked to dress up. They liked to be seen. They liked to be honored. They liked to... um, have all the places of honor you know the best seats at the table the best food in the house you know have people fawn over them and make a special thing about them they wanted all of that and they got it by their status and the authority that that status gave them in society and they would make long pious prayers and people would look at them and think whoa you know they would be showing off it was an act But what Jesus was saying to them was, you're not like that, really. Actual fact, you're crooks. It's all false. It's hypocrisy. Because underneath, it says you are devouring widows' homes. What it meant by that was, in those days, there was no welfare state. There was no support network. And women had no status. And widows were the lowest of all, because they had no man to look after them. So." A widow was a very vulnerable person. At the cross, one of Jesus' last acts was to hand his mother to John because he said, You know, I want, he was effectively saying, Please look after my mother because that's what you needed to do. And yet, these people were in religious authority and they would exploit the widows. They would exploit the widows for hospitality, for food, um, and actually take money off them. They would be supposedly looking out for their interests, and they weren't, they were corrupt, they were ruining them. And Jesus was saying, that's what these people are. And he was saying that they will be judged. There will be a consequence for what they're doing. There will be a punishment for what they're doing. And it would be very severe indeed. I like the book of James, and those people who know me very well will know that I, I love the book of James. I always go back to it. I regard it as the DIY book of Christianity. It's, it's a great book. But there's one passage in James that um, is very striking, and it relates to this. It's James 3.1. And James here is talking to the people. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That verse put me off preaching for years. <laughs> there were years and years where people were saying, Oh, preach, you know, come and have a go, come and do this. And I was going, no. <laughs> and that verse rang in my ears. And I to be honest now, every time I'm preparing a preach, that verse is echoing in the back of my head all the time. It's the little warning bell saying, You will be judged with greater strictness for what you say. And quite rightly so, because it's the Word of God. And it has huge power for good and evil. You can lead people astray. And sadly, so often we have seen that in the history of the church, haven't we? Where people have been led astray by preachers and teachers who have distorted the Word of God. Have used it for their own ends or simply because they've been misguided and they've had strange beliefs. We've seen it so often. We still see it today. Um, I am very, get very agitated over God channels on TV and multimedia because there's a lot of good stuff in there, but there's a lot of dangerous stuff in there as well. And sometimes I see things and I get so angry. I think, mean, no, that's, that's not right. Now, God will judge because that verse makes it very clear. Jesus' own words said, there's punishment for that. So, you know, they will be dealt with. But the point here was that Jesus could see what was going on inside. He knew what was inside these scribes, not what they, the show was, what the external appearance was. He saw right inside. I love the phrase that he used earlier on when he was describing a group of Pharisees. He said, you're whitewashed tombs, you look clean and nice on the outside. and..." and you're rotten and stinking on the inside, because he could see. And if you're one of those people who likes a title, if you're writing notes or you're making, you want a title, I'll give you a title for what I'm talking about. It's God sees our hearts. God sees our hearts. God sees deep inside, not what we look like or how we're behaving on the surface or even how we're talking to people. He sees right through. He sees what we're really like. And in contrast to those scribes, you have the widow, and we always have the picture of the widow sort of creeping in quietly, don't we? And apparently in the the temple courts where they gave offerings, it was the court of the women, which was the next court on from the court of the gentiles, and there were uh, effectively trumpets, inverted trumpets, and they had 13 of them set up, and they were made of metal which meant if you ever dropped metal into metal, you, know, it, you cannot do it quietly or surreptitiously. If you drop a big lump in, it makes a big noise. You drop a little bit in, it makes a small noise. So they have these different trumpets, and people would put their gifts in. And quite a lot of rich people would come in and throw their money in, and it would make a great noise and a bit of a show. And so people would be aware of what they were giving. Not the full amount, but they were aware they are giving something weighty. So, for the widow to sort of sneak in and just drop two small coins in it would have been like a little rattle and a, it would have been noticed that what she put in wasn't very much and what jesus was saying was yes it was a small gift it was two small coins that's each coin would have been about a hundredth of a drachma so can anybody remember a halfpenny? well and joyce i had a feeling you might <laughs> thats someone else yeah hapenies yeah yeah there's a few people can remember them. but We used to have them as currency in this country, and they died out a few years ago because they became worthless. Their monetary value was less than the cost of the metal to make them, so it was like they just knocked them off. They said, "Don't bother with them." Um, but I can remember as a child being given haupneys, and and I'm talking about the old haupneys, the big ones. Yeah, so few people remember those, and you know, saving them up and going to buy sweet. But even one of those was no comparison to the, the coin that they're talking about here. It was just minuscule. You know. they, in, in their day, they reckoned that one denarius was about an average daily wage, and this coin's worth a hundredth of that. So it's like, does isn't going to go far. But it was a very small amount, but it was an immense gift. Because it's not the, the value of the coins that were put in, It's the nature of the heart that gave them. That's the important thing. And that's what Jesus was pointing to. It wasn't monetary value. It wasn't the the weight of that. It was actually what's the person who's giving the gift. See, God doesn't count gifts. God weighs I also believe God doesn't weigh the gift. God weighs the giver. That's what's important to God. It's what's in the the widow's heart was important. And that's what Jesus was trying to um, raise up to make people aware of. Now, the problem with the verse of the widow's might, as it keeps being referred to, or the poor widow, is that for many, many years people like myself have stood in front of people in churches and used it as a method for turning you all upside down and emptying your pockets. Well, they do, don't they? They they talk about it a lot. And whenever we're going to talk about money and raising money, it's just a classic go-to when we talk about it. Um, And because of that, I think it sometimes gets distorted that it's all about money. But it isn't really about money. It's about what's behind it. It's about what's inside the person. Now we all say, oh, it was, you know, people can be so generous. Well, what does generosity mean? We're encouraged to be generous, but what does it actually mean in reality? You know, I started looking into this, and it was amazing, some of the stuff that I found. Now, who's heard of Warren Buffett? Yeah, a few people heard of Warren Buffett? Yeah, okay. He's in his 90s now, but when he was in his 80s, about 10 years ago, he was the richest man in the world well richard, well, richer than, you know, some of the names we think of, you know, like um, Bill Gates and, um, what's his name? The guy with the weird name does cars. Elon Musk. It sounds like it's a perfume, doesn't it, really? But I mean, it's <coughs> um, well richer than them. Huge wealth, absolutely enormous wealth. And he decided, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to give it away. So he announced that he was going to give away 90% of his wealth. And that was a lot. That was bigger than a lot of countries. It was huge, absolutely huge. But because he didn't have the, as he said, the time or the ability to do it himself, what he was going to do was donate the mass majority of it over the next period of a few years, because he couldn't do it all in one go, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, because they do charitable work all over the world, and he thought, right, I'll I'll give it to them. And the tone of the interviews, because you can't hide that, can you? I know we like to be philanthropic quietly, but you can't hide $850 billion of donation. People notice when that amount of money moves. Um, the press were all over him, and he was trying to avoid it, but he kept being interviewed. But he came up with some amazing quotes, absolutely amazing quotes. Um, someone s- said to him, um, <sighs> you know, h- will you be OK giving all this money away? And I remember him saying to this woman, he said, young lady, I will manage. Um, Because he still had $50 billion in his pocket. So I mean, yeah, yeah, he'll manage. Um, But they were saying, oh, how how could you be so generous? And he then stopped and said, I'm not generous. But but you're giving all this money away. And he said, I am not generous. And you could see they couldn't understand what he was saying. And he said, look, generosity is not about what or how much you give. It's about what you give up. And he said, I'm not giving up anything. And he said, in actual fact, I'm making my life better. Because I don't have to worry about this now. I'm going to, you know, it's not my problem. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And um, they said, well, what about your children? What about your family? And he went, no, that's a very interesting question. And he turned around and said, it's very difficult when you're rich. And he said, I want to give my kids enough money so that they feel that they could do anything. But I don't want to give them so much that they feel like they don't have to do anything. And isn't that interesting? It's like, I want to strike this balance between, yes, they've got some comfort and security, but not that they just sit around and do nothing. But it was, I just loved that his attitude to all this wealth, because he would say, actually, I'm not really being generous with it. Because what he was saying, is that true generosity costs. Mark Twain had a wonderful quote. He said, generosity is often inversely related to wealth. And isn't that true? We often find people with less give up more, much more. And it's costing them to do it as well. It's affecting them. You know, that widow gave up everything she had. And that's what Jesus saw was her heart, what she was giving up. Now, people always then go off onto, the, oh, yeah, well, what about giving up? Well, should we give? The answer is yes. We are Christians. We believe in God. We should give. It's, it's, it's just, that's the way it is. You know, you can faff about with it, but no, we give, and we should we should give. And then they say, well, how much should you give? And the answer is, well, God doesn't really make that clear. I mean, there is a guideline in the Old Testament about tithing, which is 10%. So, how much should you give? But it's each for us to make our own decision in our own hearts, our own conscience, our own relation with God. Yes, we should give. But what we do after that i don 't know. I can 't give you a guideline, but I can give you some general principles, and um, I found this quote by C. s. Lewis, which I thought was was just lovely. This, is, this was back oh, eighty years ago when asked about um, giving. He said, I do not believe that one can settle how much one ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. True generosity has a cost. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You are being generous when you don't do something, when you give up something, when you forego doing something to give a gift, to give money. And I can go on for hours of all the examples I've heard of, people who've done things like that, given up a new kitchen for you know, giving money to famine relief or uh, giving up a new car to put into a building fund, all sorts of things. You know, and I'm sure you can too. But it's the cost element, because that's the thing that's important. Just giving what you can afford, fine. Thank you very much. You know, but it's not really costing you. Um, I remember listening to C.J. Mahaney. Some of you might remember an American pastor who was very popular a few years ago. If you ever get a chance to listen to any of his stuff, I know you can get him on YouTube and podcasts and things. Do so, because he's the only person I've ever listened to in the space of 15 minutes has had me falling off my chair with laughter and crying my eyes out. Because he can take you on an emotional journey that is exceptional, but make a point. And I remember him talking about giving and... He came up with his classic quote that he said, he's an American, he said, I can't say this in America, but I can say it to you because I'm in England. Giving should make your bum squeak. Now, we all know what he meant. (laughs) We all understand it's that, oh, that's a bit uncomfortable. But he said, that's true giving. It's giving, and there's a cost, and there's a risk, and there's a, oh, you know, it's making me a bit uncomfortable. It should lead to a denial of something something that you might have done or would have liked to have done or would like to have bought. What it really is, is trusting God. It is trusting God with the money he's given you anyway. And, and I, I know in our, exp, our experience with, with giving, there have been occasions where, I, I mean, many of you relate to this. I had a fluctuating income. It was never guaranteed as flats, it would go up and down, there were bonuses, there was this, there was that. There was all sorts of things that could alter. So from time to time, I could earn very well, and there were times when it could get a bit hairy. And there were some times where it got very hairy. And yet we made a decision that what we gave was fixed. It would not fluctuate. And we stuck to that. And there were a few times where we thought, the sensible thing is to cut back on giving because that will give us more funds. And we sort of went, no, we won't. And do you know what? Did we go hungry? No. Did the kids go without food? No. Did we lose our home? No. Did disaster strike? No. You know, Because God has honored that. And that's only one little example. But I can think of hundreds that people have told me where they've trusted God. It's the only bit in the Bible I'm aware of where God actually openly says, challenge me. And i will bless you for it so we know those principles we understand those the thing is i think there's something much more important than money much more and it relates to what jesus was talking about it's what's in our hearts you see it's relatively easy for us to give money relatively easy we live in the west we're affluent if you live in this country, and you live in a local authority property, and you live on benefits, and you're on the bread line, you're still richer than 90% of the people in the world. That's just a fact. You are. So, I mean, when you look at it globally, giving money is relatively easy. An actual fact, most of us can afford to give. We might think we can't, but we can. And that's fact, many of us will give money rather than do something. And what I mean is give of ourselves, actually put ourselves into something. Because um, there's a principle underneath this that is not about money. It's about a greater gift. It's giving of our time, giving of our commitment, our service, putting ourselves into something. And I, rem- I remembered something. And well, I'm going back a long way now. When I was at university, Do you remember there used to be things called rag weeks, rag collections, certain people remember that. They were big charity events, and each university would set about a period of time raising as much money as they could and then donate it to charities. I went to a university that was very good at this and actually was really good at it, Um, very good at fundraising and doing all sorts of wacky stuff. Um, And we used to raise a considerable amount of money. I mean, eye-watering amounts of money, When you look at the people involved and look at the money, you think, how did you do that? But then we would donate it all to local charities. You know, um, sometimes it was a national charity, but quite often we'd we'd put a lot of money back into the local community where we were. And I remember one charity that was for um, young people who had um, learning difficulties and sort of mental problems, and... They were quite local to the university, and we were going to give them quite a large um, grant. And a group of us from the fundraising uh, organization went along, and we spent a day with them at their center. And When I got there, I realized that one of my tutors had a child there, which I never knew anything about. And so I got talking with him, and we got involved, and we spent the whole day with them doing whatever they needed, you know, just hands-on, whatever they wanted, and then we had a do in the evening, bit of a party, and we handed over the cheque, which was a lot of money, and he said something that rang in my ears. He said, thank you, thank you so much for the money. You've no idea how helpful it is, but there's something I want you to understand. What you've done today by being here outweighs the money, and I'm like, sorry, and he said, I still remember this quote They say, he said money oils the wheels people make the difference and he said it's you coming and giving time you coming and spending time with these people you coming and doing things with these people that's what's made the difference and time and time again those verse that that's come back to me and I've been dealing with lots of charities I've been involved with charities for a long time the church itself is, is a charity um And that principle is true. The money oils the wheels, and we thank you for it. But it's the people that make the difference. It's what the people give of themselves that makes a difference. It's the impact. We sit down, and I I can think of an example here. If we look at the things we would like to do in Odium and Church Crookham, if you all were super generous and, and doubled the funding that we get, we couldn't do them. And the reason we couldn't do them is that it's not actually about money. It's about people being available to do them. And all charities will tell you the same thing. Most of what they need to do is what people do. It's the time people give. It's the giving of themselves. For me, that's the challenge in Jesus' words. Yes, well, God will see our hearts. God will weigh, but he's going to weigh the giver. He's going to weigh, well... Did you just give some money, which was great? What did you give of yourself? Did you put something in? It's very challenging, isn't it? See, Warren Buffett could give away $800 billion, and it made absolutely no difference. Because he didn't give of himself. He just gave money. And that's for me is the challenge that we all face. It's the challenge I think the church faces to move forward. Is that we can get hung up on talking about we need funds, because we do. But actually, more importantly, to really make a difference, it's we need the people. We need the commitment. We need the people involved. And just remember, it's God weighs our hearts, He sees what we're like, He knows what's going on inside. I'm going to uh, stop there. I think Shimon has got another song. Um, and we'll finish there. And can I ask, I urge you, um, God's put something on my mind which I don't want to share, but because it's not appropriate. But if you need prayer for anything today, will you, you please come and, and, and get prayed for? I'll pray for you, I'm very happy to. But even if you don't want to do that with me, Please, you know, if, God, if God's touched you this morning, and I know He has, I just have that knowledge that He has, please just don't think, oh, that was interesting, and walk off. Please, please, please respond to the, spirit, the prompting of the Spirit and get prayed for. Father, I just thank you that you're a God who cares and a God who provides. And I thank you for your amazing provision for each one of us. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And I just pray, Lord, would you give us all a generous heart. Would you touch us, Lord God, and help us to be generous in all things, not just with our money, but with ourselves, with our time. I just ask you, Lord God, to use us. Use us powerfully, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.